good to see some people back from their holidays. Uh, I think some others have sneaked off on theirs whilst I wasn't looking. But it's great to be together on this lovely sunny morning to worship God together. Some words from the Gospels of Mark and Matthew. Jesus said, Let's go to a place where we can be alone and get some rest. He also said, If you're tired from carrying heavy burdens, come to me and I will give you rest. Take the yoke I give you, put it on your shoulders and learn from me. I am gentle and humble, and you will find rest. This yoke is easy to bear, and this burden is light. And now let's come to God in prayer. Let's pray together. In the stillness and quiet of this place, God is listening. Listening to the words we speak, the thoughts we think, the emotions we feel. In the stillness and the quiet of this place, God is waiting. Waiting for the words to cease, the thoughts to be stilled, the emotions to be acknowledged. In the stillness of this place, God meets us. Thank you, gentle God that you wait patiently for us to be still, to stop looking around at everyone else, to stop planning what we will do later, to stop whatever it is that distracts us. Thank you, gentle God, that you forgive our restless doing, our constant striving, our perpetual moving, our self-centred achieving. Help us in this time of worship to focus on you, to listen for you, to align ourselves with you, so that when we return to the everyday, we continue to walk your way. Amen. Our Bible reading this morning comes from Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them, 
because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now very late. Send them away, so that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy something for themselves to eat. Now on to verse 53. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored the boat. When they got out of the boat, people at once recognised him and rushed about that whole region and began to bring the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages or cities or farms, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. Amen. The children are going to go up onto the stage. We've got some um, games and colouring and things for you to do. I um, hope you will enjoy that. But I'd like to thank the children for being so still and quiet in that first part of our service. It's really difficult when you're only small to sit still. You've been absolutely extra brilliant. You're always brilliant, but you've been extra brilliant today. At the end of June, I went down to Devon with one or two other people from church, and I had the great privilege of leading the service for Debbie's baptism. Fortunately, Debbie's not here today, or perhaps that's fortunate because I can't embarrass her. But as part of that service, Debbie shared the story of how she'd come to that point in her journey of faith. And I think it's fair to say it was a very profound and moving account. And it was right that it should be heard in that act of worship. One of the things in our Baptist tradition is the practice of baptismal candidates sharing what we refer to usually as their testimony. And it's something we relish, we look forward to it, we enjoy it, we all all on tenterhooks to hear what they will say. But the truth is, it also puts some people off being baptised or coming into membership, either because they think that their story is too mundane and too ordinary, or the prospect of standing up in front of a whole room full of people and sharing it is quite frankly terrifying. In those denominations that have a congregational ecclesiology, so that's Baptists, Congregationalists and the United Reformed Church as a minimum, the ordination or induction of a new minister involves a similar sharing of testimony. The call story. And interestingly here, two stories are heard in parallel. The minister shares a story of how she or he has discerned God's leading to a particular church. And one person, speaking on behalf of the church, tells how they have discerned God's leading to this minister. And these stories are powerful and wonderful, expressing hope and confidence at the start of a new relationship together. I think these sharing of stories, this testimony time, is really important because these events are, in some sense, Markers on the journey, pausing places where we stop and we can look back to them and we can look forward. We look back at where we've come from, we look forward to where we're going. But also, 
in the future, when reality sets in, we can look back and say, yeah, actually, on that day, at that time, we were certain. I've told the story more times than enough that my sense of call to ordained ministry was incredibly profound. It was what they call a religious experience. And it's needed to be, because there have been times when I've needed to go back to that and remind myself of what was going on. Sharing testimony, then, tends to be something we do on special occasions. It's a bit of a mountaintop experience very often, the high points when we're, we're really happy, really positive, really sure. But they're also transient. We can't stay on that mountain forever. We have to come back down again to the plain, to the level place, to ordinary life with its blend of the mundane and the challenging. Most churches I've been in have to say that testimony has been reserved for special occasions. But there are some churches and some traditions where testimony sharing is part of the natural rhythm of worship. And some of you will have been in churches where that's the case. Some traditions, particularly in Pentecostal churches, have a midweek service specifically called a testimony service, where people stand up and share what they think God has been doing in their lives that week. Others, it will be more of a part of the ordinary service. They will have not a circle time, but a sharing time, saying, well, this is what God's been doing for me this week. And I think those are both important and valuable because they remind people that God is always active, not just on special occasions. But they also have their challenges. There's always that temptation to embroider the story just a little bit for effect because actually, secretly, we want people to be impressed by what God's been doing in our life. There's that kind of relishing of salacious behaviour from which somebody has been delivered. You know, it's kind of holy gossiping, isn't it? And on the other hand, there is a potential for triviality and the same people saying the same things week after week. We all know, don't we, in the prayer meeting, who's going to pray and what they're going to pray. And it can be the same with testimony. For all that... If we think testimony is the sharing of our stories, if testimony is people telling how their faith in Christ affects their lives, if testimony can be understood as a tentative expression of what we sense as hints of God's grace at work in our lives, personal or collective, then it seems to be something we should take seriously and try to liberate from the artifice of special occasions dedicated services, and my experience is more amazing than yours. Two weeks ago, we heard the story where Jesus sent off his disciples in twos to put in practice what they'd learned. Last week, we took a break and looked at the death of John the Baptist, and now we come back and rejoin them. They've come back, and they're brimming with stories to tell. I wonder what it was that was so exciting for them. Because nobody's written it down. Good old Mark, you know, minimum. They went. They came back. What we do know is they were surrounded by people. There was no privacy. 
These weren't prepared testimonies. It wasn't all kind of planned and neat and tidy. There's lots of coming and going. There isn't time for the disciples even to get anything to eat. Jesus says, let's go and find some space. This is just all too busy, too noisy. The crowds just actually couldn't care less whether the the disciples are hungry or not. They want to know what's going on. They're excited. Tell us what's been going on. Or maybe they're hoping that their friends might be blessed by Jesus or one of the followers. Jesus looks around and says, right, come on. Let's get out of here. You need a break. Let's get in the boat and go across the lake. One of the good things about a boat is there's only room for a dozen or so people on it, and nobody can eavesdrop. You can just sail across the lake and have your private conversation. I wonder if that speaks to you, because it does certainly speaks to me. Intentional time out, switching off the phone, switching off the computer, switching off the Kindle, whatever it is, no shopping, no housework, whatever it is, just stopping and taking time out from all of it. Now, this isn't about having a little miniature holiday, and it's not just about doing nothing. It's not just a bit of chill space. It's a space to slow down, to reflect. If we're always busy doing and never thinking, how do we process and internalise what we have discovered? Always moving on to the next thing. How do we learn? If we never take time out to go deeper, to analyse our experiences, to wrestle with our questions, perhaps we risk settling for something that is superficial and trivial, rather than being blessed with the profound and meaningful that God might want to bring to us. For more than a decade, firstly as a student, then as a newly accredited minister, then as a research student, and as a three times trained mentor, I have been required to keep journals of theological reflection. I have to confess, I got very fed up with it. However, what it did do was force me to step out of my busyness for a while, to slow down and to mull over whatever it was that I was learning about myself, about my work, about God. Now, that may or may not be something that you would find helpful, and there are all sorts of different ways you can do it. But I think it's useful sometimes just to take that time out and mull over what's going on. Just pick something and work with it for a while. But even that needs a word of caution because reflecting of itself, if it doesn't lead to a lived response, is quite frankly navel-gazing. I think making time to reflect is really important. It's part of our spiritual growth telling ourselves our own story, however that might be. You might like to do it by writing, or drawing, or dancing, or music, going for a walk and thinking. Whatever it is that works for you. 
Whatever it is that allows us to glimpse, even in the everyday, how God is part of our experience and how our faith both shapes and is shaped by everyday life. Oh dear, poor disciples, that restful space with Jesus is over all too soon. As they savour the privacy of the boat journey, and probably do tell their stories, the crowds race ahead along the shore and are already there when they come back to land. And Jesus seems to lose interest in the twelve returned ones, and instead is moved by compassion for the crowd. So many people with no sense of direction, no idea where to find what it is they need, He says they seem like a flock of sheep without a shepherd. No shepherd to walk ahead of them and show them the way. No shepherd to round up the stragglers. No shepherd to rescue the ones who are snagged or injured. So he ignores the disciples and starts teaching the crowd. A very long time ago, when I had a real job, I went on a management training course. And in the final session, the leader spoke to us about going back home and back to work. Remember, he said, whilst you've been having a great time, life has been going on as usual for everybody else. You'll probably have things you want to share with your nearest and dearest. You'll have new ideas you want to implement back at work. Everyday life carries on for everyone else. For them, nothing has changed. I have a feeling that this is what the disciples discover here. They still had things they wanted to say to Jesus or to ask Jesus. They're really fired up by their recent experiences. But life has carried on around them. And Jesus had other people to think about too. We've been reminded, haven't we, through this series, how the human Jesus can't be everywhere and do everything at once. Retreats, Christian conferences, time out. They're all great. Time just to step out of that busyness. Time, perhaps, to drink in inspiring talks. Time to escape from the humdrum of cooking and cleaning. That's what I like about Christian conferences. Anyway, all my food's cooked for me. It's great. They're great. They're good. They feed us in every sense of the word. But they're only ever temporary because life goes on around us. And when we land back into the reality of everyday life, the pressures will soon engulf us again. And we too might discover that Jesus isn't interested only in me and what's happening in my life. But actually, Jesus is very busy out there, in and amongst it all. The crowds stay and listen for a long time, and it gets late, and they get hungry. So the disciples say to Jesus, well, look, just send them away to buy some food. And Jesus says, actually, you feed them. It's an impossible task, isn't it? Does it ever feel like that for you? 
that what Jesus asks of you is preposterous. I think that probably links back with where we were last week, really. The lectionary skips past the story of the feeding of the 5,000, of Jesus dismissing the crowd and going on off, off on his own for a while before walking on the water. Because our focus is very much on the 12 who are newly returned from their first mission. So we journey with them back across the lake. And goodness me, they're confused and bewildered. They can't make any sense of what's going on. They've seen that Jesus is is doing amazing things. He feeds all these people. He walks on the water. But he doesn't explain anything. And they're very, very bewildered by all of this. And so they land back on dry land, back the place they went from. And Jesus carries on, as before, teaching and healing and being out among the people. There's a sense almost as if this is the end of a training module for the disciples. They haven't yet had a chance to process it all, to work out what they've learned. But actually already, Jesus is moving on to the next thing. I think it's fair to say that the telling of this story would not feature in a typical Christian testimony. There's no big transformation in understanding. The disciples don't go, ah, finally, I get it. Actually, quite the opposite. The disciples we read about are tired and hungry. They want the crowds to go away. They want some space. They want to rest. They don't understand what Jesus is saying or doing. But this is authentically part of their story. This is part of the testimony that is the Gospel of Mark. This not getting it, this being tired, this bewilderment is just as authentic as the exciting bits. So I wonder if this has something to say to us about our own stories. Do we think that our story, my story, your story, is too humdrum, too unspiritual, too boring to be worth saying? Do we not say anything because we haven't got any exciting tales to tell? Do we feel that we can't compete with the person who can tell about their delivery from whatever it was? I don't know if, like me, you've ever been to any evangelistic gatherings, but they usually manage to trot out somebody whose life was um, very colourful before their conversion, and they kind of tell that story, and we can't compete with that, nor should we. Would we actually be too embarrassed to say, do you know what, I just wish Jesus would send everybody away and, and focus on me for a bit? Would we be too ashamed to say, no, still don't get it. Really sorry. You might have fed all those people. You might have walked on water. I might have done all these things. But I still don't get it. Or could it be the opposite? Could we be so proud and self-righteous and so self-assured that we think it's obvious? 
do we like to be seen as a super-duper Christian? And so fail to be honest, even with ourselves, about the questions and the doubts and the uncertainties that arise. Testimony is not just a story about how we came to faith or to baptism or to be the minister of this or that church. It's not just about the significant moments in our journeys of faith. Testimony is the ongoing story of our lives as followers of Jesus. Testimony is about honestly naming the struggles and the questions as well as celebrating the insights and the blessings. And I think that testimony is a way that God can encourage us, individually and collectively, when we share honestly how it is for us. Just take a moment to look around. Every person here this morning has a story to tell which is shaped by their encounter with Jesus. A story which is equally shaped by their experiences of everyday life. So what encouragements might you draw from other people's story for yourself if you've got the ears to hear? Or what in your story might encourage other people if they have the eyes to see. You see, Sunday worship can be a little bit like that boat ride across Galilee. We deliberately come apart to spend some uninterrupted time with God. But all too soon, we land back into the everyday where the world is waiting for us. So how does our story, your story, my story, speak to the people who have no hope? To the people who feel unloved? To the people who perhaps we might think of like shepherdless sheep? I wonder what Jesus is doing now as our time of reflection draws to its close. Our prayers today continue the theme of stories. Let us pray. Dear Lord, telling stories is as basic to human beings as eating, and to be a person is to have a story to tell. We know that the humdrum routine nature of our lives is often punctuated by significant events. And whether they are happy or sad, exciting or boring, tragic or wonderful, it is these events that contribute to our story and our lives are then shaped. As we think about the world which you love and in which you have called us to live, give us the strength to learn who and where we are. We thank you for the way our individual stories shape who we are. Help us to listen to our own stories and in so doing learn how to be. Over the past two weeks we have watched with wonder 
and excitement the great spectacle of the Olympic Games. We have listened to many human stories of success and failure and how sportsmen and women have coped with both. You have created our wonderful bodies with the potential for great strength, speed, flexibility and endurance. But more than that, you have given us the ability to be dedicated and to find perseverance and determination when the going gets tough. We thank you, Father, for the way in which nations have come together, where diversity has been celebrated and stories have been shared. We thank you for the ways in which we have recognised great human achievement. We thank you for that hard work that has been celebrated and that the watching crowds, whether in stadiums, by the river or in our living rooms, are not only spectators but supporters of great successes. We would pray that the legacy of these games may bring opportunities for children and young people to be inspired to follow their own dreams. Every day we watch stories unfolding before our very eyes. God, who loved the world enough to send your Son, we pray for those who risk their lives to help others in times of disaster. For observers of conflict who risk their safety to monitor and record injustices in areas of conflict and yet somehow manage to tell the people's story. We pray for aid workers who have sacrificed their long-term comfort to dedicate themselves to helping others in places where there is economic and social hardship. In the midst of the suffering in our world, we celebrate those who find joy in listening to the stories of others for the glimpses they give us of your character. You call us to take up our cross and follow you. Show us what it means to live in a life, to live a life marked by both sacrifice and joy. Fill us again with your spirit, sharpen our vision of you, so that the stories we tell in this place be stories of renewed commitment and a deeper love for you. We bring these prayers to you now, in Jesus' name, amen.